Hello everyone and welcome to Toronto Rock Total Access. I am Mike Hancock and joining me again, Colin Doyle and it has been quite some time since we've been with you. Tons of stuff to catch up on and uh, we've already got to circle back on some stuff that we've talked about off air here because we just had to hit record and get rolling here because lots of stuff is going on. Some stuff that's blowing my mind even, including, well first... Well, am I going to get a chance yeah, to say hello? Hello Colin, how are you doing? <laughs> I am excellent. Uh, thanks for having me back. I'm very much excited to be along for the ride again. Um, and uh, say hello again to all of our dedicated followers. Hutchie's old man, Hutchie's right? Hutchie's old man, yeah. And <laughs> and a lot of other people. You'll be surprised, I think. It, or, I, or I'm always surprised, too, at how many people listen to the podcast on a regular basis. Well, if I don't know who they are, I can't shout out. So, you know, right now it's Hutchie's listening. old man. Maybe tweet at Colin, at CDLAC7, and he'll respond to you, right, Colin? I won't. I'm off Twitter. <laughs> See, but I don't know how to shut my handle down, so uh, it why, would appear what, that I'm still... What happened? What? Why? I, You're just done with it because why? I'm done with it. It's just not... I, I really don't care what's on it. I don't care. I found it annoying, and I found it... Uh, even myself, I was saying things. Like, why would I say? Who cares? I don't care. Like, So I just think I came to the uh, conclusion I was wasting my time on it. So I'm off. So if you've been adding me, is that... Yeah, then, and I, and I haven't been uh, getting back to you. My apologies. I am off of it, but I don't know how to shut the handle down. So if you want to go ahead and take it over, I wouldn't know any different. <laughs> have at it. <laughs> I think I think it's great that you got on Twitter. It would have been even better if you got on while you were playing. But it is great that you got on. I still think you need to keep going with it. Well, thank you. I'll maybe just take a breather and maybe revisit it. I feel like we have these conversations when I tell you to take a breather and revisit it, and you're looking at me like you already made your mind up. And it my mind's made up. <laughs> it would take something pretty spectacular to get me back on Twitter. I was wasting my time. I've got better things to do. Um, you know, I've but got. But you don't have I've, to. You don't necessarily have to tweet very often you can just follow stuff well that's, that's all i on. wanted to do was tweet oh right. i only cared about what i'm doing <laughs> i think you know i was being bombarded with things from other people i didn't care about and i found so it excruciating them. unfollow them well I, I don't know if i knew how to you just i can help you out with that i'm off <laughs> no i'm off it'll take it'll take more than that to get me back on and i'm not spiteful it's not my thing. I've got a daughter. Uh, she has one of these things, and she's not on Twitter or anything. But I see how much time she. And I said, "Look, if I'm going to make a, if I'm going to be a leader in the household here, I can't be on my phone doing the exact same thing and be hypocritical." And I realized what I was doing was a waste of my time. So I am no longer on Twitter. Wow. Yeah. So I don't think it's a landmark day here or anything. But I'm, I think I'm about a month in. I feel good. Yeah. Yeah. I have heard from some people that have taken these. Uh, Oh, I have an incoming call from Nick Rose. Should we take this live on the podcast? And see yes, we up? should. All right. Okay. All right, Rosie, uh, you're on speakerphone right now. Colin and I are actually recording the podcast, so you're you're officially our first guest on the podcast this year. So hopefully uh, this conversation can be uh, heard on the podcast. What's going on, Rosie? I, I kind of regret calling you now, to be honest with you. <laughs> When, when wouldn't you regret calling him? <laughs> wow, okay. Colin just said, when would you? You probably can't hear Colin, but yes, he's saying, when would you not regret calling me? But uh, is this something I need to call you back after about? Yeah, I'm just going to wait until after the podcast. I know you guys are doing a real good job in there, so you guys get that done, and then we, we can chat afterwards. Mike, could you tell Rosie, because we know how much the fans here love him, if he have little... Would he come on later, live? Oh, maybe. Can you can you hop into the studio with us in a little bit? You guys know I'm always available for you, too. So uh, you, you send me a message. Let me know when you want me in there. Okay. Well, there we go. We have just lined up our first guest on the show. Live. Thanks, Rosie. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, great talking to you. So okay. Much. Bye-bye, Rosie. You know what I'm willing to bet? Nick's not off Twitter. <laughs> This is true. We can talk to him. Uh, we can talk to him about that. Maybe you guys can work it out. He might be able to sell you on getting back on. That would be highly unlikely. Okay. All right. Horns uh, up. <laughs> horns up, indeed. Hashtag horns up. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, let's get into chatting a little bit about what's going on, what has gone on here since uh, perhaps we were last with you, which we did one episode over the summer. 
People were. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. I During the did. camp season. Yeah, we were right. Um, it was a great episode. I think we've left people wanting more that we haven't done another episode for a few months. If we haven't, uh, we're both in the wrong That's business. Bad, bad yep. sign, yeah, that is a bad sign. But yeah, I think. Uh, there's a lot to get caught up on, I'm sure. The lacrosse world keeps moving. I'm going to let you take the lead on this because you're you're probably a bit more in tune than I am. But <laughs> let's have this. Let's go at it. Well, let's see. All right, uh, we'll talk a little bit about the NLL draft. The Toronto Rock uh, drafted six players. Four of those players have come to training camp. A couple were unable to attend training camp due to either work or school commitments that have come up. Uh, but Aaron Forster and Zach Mans, two guys that uh, Forster taken in the first round, Mans taken in the second round, won an offensive and defensive righty and man's uh, an offensive lefty man scored a couple goals on Saturday night in the exhibition game and looked pretty good out here in Forster uh, picked up a couple of assists I think he ended up with but um, <clears throat> the draft I, I don't know it's becoming I'm starting to think about how the draft is going to play a role in this league going forward I guess maybe is what I want to kind of talk about and just how we were chatting a little bit off the air about how some teams you know you're starting to look at their rosters and you're thinking how are they going to get out of, you know, what they've, you know, a hole perhaps that they've dug for themselves a little bit with uh, where they sit here going into the season. And um, do you think we're going to see the draft and, and scouting and develop all this kind of stuff take on a bit of a different importance? Because I think when we were a nine-team league here, you could make a lot of mistakes and kind of fix them without really having to have a lot of picks. You could pick up guys from other teams that were cuts or guys that had fallen out of favor that could still play in the league, but maybe had kind of died in, in some GM and coaches uh, minds. But now I feel like that might kind of become a little bit more difficult. That's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. Um, I think that as the population of people to draft from grows, that will be, be that will become um, certainly as soon as we have to start going south, which we've seen a little bit of, but primarily the players that have been taken from the south, um, from the states, have been you know high end, marquee, easy to pick players. But I think as this thing grows, if it continues to grow, and we've got to expand the player pool, I think those that are willing to go different places to look for talent uh, will have a distinct advantage early on. And then as people catch up, like I think in Canada, the player pool is what it is, and I, I, until it grows any bigger, I don't think that the job of a scout uh, or of a GM is overly complicated at this point there's always a gm that pulls somebody out of nowhere and turns them into a player but predominantly the first three rounds are pretty well set i mean you know that because anybody that does a mock draft they're yeah. a player off out of 40 yeah so <laughs> i i don't think at this point but i think the and, and i think uh jamie and josh did it here a couple of years ago and it paid off in spades with tommy and kieran uh which was kind of a new venture for the rock and I think you see other teams doing it, and you're slowly starting to see some of these talents from the U.S. that come up here aren't the marquee scores. They're gritty defender defender type players that kind of fill a role, uh, you know, 14 through 18 on on roster. So I think you're seeing some of it already, and I, I do think, yeah, I think there'll be an advantage to somebody who's who becomes really good at strategically picking from different player pools. Um, if that makes any sense at all. Because right now, like I said, there are only certain leagues to really draft from here, and I think most teams have somebody in a position to see these players all the time. And I don't think we've been – have we been shocked from some of the success stories, like Overly, from out-of-nowhere players? You tell me. You probably have a better feel Not for necessarily. This. I, I think the next thing I was going to throw at you was just kind of um, when we're talking about looking elsewhere for players was – you know, you've been very involved with U.S. Boxla and, you know, lacrosse in California. How far are we away from, you know, those kids being, you know, regulars in the NL or just high draft picks? Or when when do we start kind of uh, pulling from that pool of players? I think that first crop of those players are probably into their second and third year university that have the extensive box experience. Extensive by means of... You know, comparatively speaking, com comparatively maybe past, speaking yeah. to the players before them. So I think the first generation of those players are all playing college ball right now. And you know, one that comes to mind is the kid down at uh, Penn State who played for the Northmen a couple years ago. Um, his name escapes me right now, uh, but you know, he's one of the best point producers in NCAA, and he'll become a high, very high draft pick, I would assume, in the NLL. And that age group I believe was kind of like the first generation of players that now have 
call it eight to ten years of box across experience that's some pretty high level so I think that'll play into it um, I still think you'll get a bunch of players that have never played that still have the potential I think as the league grows they're probably gonna have to grow the availability you know on this topic not to get off topic but these players that have interest in playing it haven't played it before there has to be somewhere for them to get their feet wet and I think with the combines and stuff it's a good start but now they've got to play so I think kind of finding that middle road because for this league to expand, we've all said it a thousand times, there has to be players coming from other areas. And I think the Wings had somebody from Finland. Yes. That, yep. Last year. Yep. Or, uh, he, he seemed to be a good, very good pickup. Um, nice depth player on that team. So there's an example of somebody kind of digging in some you know, unknown waters and finding a good player that made the roster. So, yeah, I, you're right. There will be an advantage to people who can outsource players in a different manner. But I think what we have in Ontario, what we have in BC, I, I mean, the Midwest of Canada, to me, is kind of an untapped market. Cal, like uh, Alberta's starting to push um, yeah. at some of the higher levels. So there has to be players homegrown from there that maybe aren't uh, as easy to pick as those in Ontario. So if you're going to be a lazy general manager with a lazy, lazy scouting department, yeah, you could miss a player like that. You know, whether or not the east of Canada or wherever comes up with another diamond in the rough, who knows? But as the game becomes more global and you know it's north american driven obviously but yeah i think those gms that can find players in the draft that not everybody knows about will have a distinct advantage for the time being so i think mac o'keefe is that the player that's, thinking that's of the penn yep. state kid yep and uh i think it was Joachim or Joachim miller was that's right. the, the philly kid so which I don't think he ended up lasting the whole year last year in Philly. But still, yeah, I mean, Mac O'Keefe came up here, had a great year with the Northmen a couple of years ago, and then uh, didn't come back last year. But <clears throat> I, I think there will be some more players coming up here to, you know, even play a year of junior A when they're 19 or 20. They, they may not, you know, even if they come up here at 19, it doesn't mean they're going to play the next three years up here or anything. But like you say, to get their feet wet. But I think in the, the development part is still – going to be a bit of an issue i think until somehow we can get a legitimate minor league going at the same time as the national lacrosse league and having nll teams with you know some kind of stake in those development teams and i don't know where we are i mean the arena lacrosse league has been going for a few years before that sealax and you know there is a partnership there uh, especially with training officials and whatnot uh, between the nll and and the arena lacrosse league but um i think until you start to have you know, the ability, this is probably a much, much deeper conversation than we want to get into necessarily, but just with the fact that, you know, right now we're going through training camp, right? You've had 21 active roster spots, four practice roster spots. There are going to be other guys, like in every other year, where you draft players, sign them as free agents, you show some interest, and they're going to be on the floor two, three times with you, maybe get in one exhibition game then that's it. They're gone. They get released and you don't have any rights to them. You don't protect them. You can't develop them. And then, you know, you're looking at, do you eat? A lot of times those guys don't even get invited back to that same team's training camp yeah, the next it's rare. year, right? Like, yeah. So it's like you have a very, very small window and where do you get better? Maybe playing major series in the summer again, but then you get back to, you come back to a training camp again, you're in that cycle. If you get on the floor two or three times, one exhibition game, you're done. Like that's your window every time. And um, I there has to become some kind of development in the winter alongside where, you know, you can put your own coaches in place on a team and whatnot and watch those guys develop. And I think financially we're probably far away from that, be, teams being able to invest in something like that. But having said that as well, there might be a time coming sooner than we think where teams are kind of forced to make that financial investment to stay competitive. Yeah, I think, well, a farm system now, like what you're talking about, I think is is relevant because as the league grows, you want to protect some of your assets. You want to see you, you want to see some of your assets kind of turn into something. And like you said, like it's a hard league to make. It's a little easier now than it used to be because at nine teams, it's the dynamic is super competitive. And yeah. you see some great players. Uh, some of the success stories of, of kids playing in the, some of the uh, other winter leagues, uh, like the Arena League or – they have had some success. They keep they keep with it. They stay with it. Boom! February rolls around. They get a call to a team, and they're playing in the NLL. So there there is some value in it. You know, down in the states this summer, I saw a collegiate box lacrosse game. Uh, the best from the east versus the best from the west. The best from the Denver League against the best from the Ohio League, and the the lacrosse was really good. 
and kids that knew how to play the game have some experience and it even if it's four years of moderate experience it's better than coming out of college with nothing the jump I think is so much more drastic at that point so to see them play the game it was an unbelievable game lots of talent out there how that talent translate I, I you know I don't know but people that understand how to play the game how to play the two-man game um, understand the rules and the flow of the game and all those little things that usually players have to play catch up with when they get here I think if you eliminate that and the player pool gets bigger then it comes back to your point well what are we going to do with these players to develop them while they wait to get to be an NLL talent so I think that's uh that's a tricky question and we don't need to get into that in week one here but that is something that the leagues if they want to grow that's one of the things they're going to have to consider is if you draft somebody and you have uh you have an asset you know how can you how can you buy yourself some time to see them get better and fit into an NLL uh, roster? So it's interesting, very. Now we are in the midst of training camp here and uh, two more exhibition games on the schedule for the Rock this Saturday and then uh, the following Saturday. Then they'll the league starts, but the Rock will have a bye week and then December 7th is the home opener. But um, back to when you were going through training camp, um, I guess just to talk a little bit about, you know, how you've seen it kind of change here, getting ready for camp, the actual tryout process, and, you know, what was your mindset going into training camp? Because I think, you know, we talk about it, kind of joke about it a lot of times in hockey, where guys used to come into the training camp to get in shape and then start the season, whereas now I think it's more like you're in shape when training camp starts, and it's maybe more fine-tuning and getting back into the mix with your your winter teammates and whatnot and you know getting that chemistry going again but how did you approach training camps both ways uh you know in the league's infancy my first year trying out I can remember I was you know I probably ate McDonald's on the way down we had three sessions <laughs> it was my first time ever shooting I'll never forget this I was like we, I went down to Rochester I was drafted by Rochester and I went down to Rochester to try out and the pace was impressive the you know you're out there with men I I was still in junior so a lot of it was eye-opening but the one thing I can never forget is how easy it was to score the nets look like soccer nets <laughs> uh, compared yeah. to what I was used to because they were four by four in the summer still <laughs> yeah right? and yeah, they, yeah. I mean the goalies had never seen you before they don't know anything about you so one fake it was just it was really easy to score I was not in good shape but the game kind of came easy to me from a skill perspective I was cut uh lo and behold but uh you know and then, you know, you're, you're young, you're too naive to think you're working for a spot because you just, but until you're cut. And then once you're cut, you kind of say, okay, well, I better show up ready to go. And then I was in Hamilton the next year with the Ontario Raiders. And, uh, I, you know, I, I just remember training camp being a bit of both. You, yeah, you got to get your wind under you. I remember being super hurting all the time the day after. Like just, even if you were in shape, you know, going twice in a day and stopping and starting, getting hit again, even if it was only a month off after, you know, um, a man cup run in the summer, mm -hmm. just the, uh, the speed and everything, it just hurt the next, it usually took about three weeks to get through those Sundays and Wednesdays where you're really, really achy, but it was a, f I always loved it. I remember always the nerves going, we always here in Toronto, we go to Dr. Levy's office in Hamilton for their physical. So it was a bit like a, for me doing it so long, it was like a, another passing of another year. Yep. And sitting in that waiting room and you see you, you see some familiar faces come back in and you're like, hey, man, how you doing? Long time. No, how's your summer been? And then you see all the fresh faces that are kind of after your, your job. And I just remember that dynamic being so – it was so weird and, and never, ever really? became easier. Hmm. Even when you knew you had a spot on the team, you know, your competitive juices start flowing immediately. Okay, like my assumption was, okay, every one of these guys wants my job, so it's on. So, you know, you get through the, that process and you're always on the floor that first day. And it was just fun to see new people come after you and you go back at them. And like you said, training camp's so short, you have such a small window to make an impression. And, you know, all those dynamics of people trying out for jobs, you trying to find chemistry, you know, all these things that happen in such a short amount of time. So I, I have very fond memories, but, but I, I just remember, you know, no matter what my mindset was going in, as soon as I got to the doctor's office, my mindset changed and it was just like all right it's go time again for the next three weeks I'm I'm gonna get that mind right that I'm going out and get my spot here and nothing can stand in my way then you get the team made and you work on your chemistry and kind of get to know your teammates and then you got a year long to go after that so I don't know it was fun uh, but I do have that I'll never forget just every year Dr. Levy's office over and over <laughs> and over again so it was uh, very fond memories but you hurt and we we've got it easy here in Toronto because 
you know, when I went to San Jose, that was a whole can of worms that I, I had that was three times in a day, six times in a weekend. And, you know, like it was very difficult because those teams had to squeeze so much into a small period. Whereas here you got your weekday practices. You maybe go once on a Saturday, once on a Sunday. But, man, out there when, you know, and I imagine all those kind of uh, satellite teams were all the same. When you get the players in there, you got to get after it. And I just – it was such an eye-opener for me. As That wasn't much fun. Just want to trace back a little piece of history there for a second uh, from your story. So, like you were saying, drafted by Rochester, you go to their camp, you get cut. So you signed as a free agent essentially with – the no, Ontario Raiders, or was uh, there it was a, a draft. protection? There was a draft of some sort where the Raiders were allowed to hand pick. I, geez, I could almost okay. remember the list now, and I don't know how they would have got some of these players because Veltman was on the list, yeah. myself, Brian Beasel, Whipper, players that were playing they for were other able teams. To protect. So I don't know what the draft okay. was called, and and I wasn't on a team, but I must have still been in Rochester system. And at that point, the reason I was cut, I think they would have loved to have kept me, but they were only allowed to keep six Canadians. So there was a rule back then they were limited by the amount of Canadians they could keep. So I was, well, they told me I was the seventh, who knows, but um, <laughs> they, they cut me. Uh, and, you know, I never, like, there, like back to this, there was no farm system. I, just, I remember yeah. being at the first game in Buffalo as a fan. Like, I had to buy a ticket. I went in and watched the game. And, uh, and then somehow or another, Hamilton or Ontario got this list of seven players. Micah Kersey, I think. Geez, I wonder if I could do all seven. I'm up to five. Maybe Dean Harrison. And could have even been Rob Blaisdell or something like that. Anyway, some of these players are already playing for other teams, so I don't know what the list was. Yeah. There, but that was their nucleus. Those are the players they're allowed to start with. I happen to be one of them. And then, uh, you know, I don't know how they just drafted and whatever from there because we ended up getting – oh, and then they, they, they got Coyle, Stroop, and Gill in another list yeah so they must have been able to seven ontario players or three bc players or something like that but imagine starting a team nowadays with those 10 players yeah like <laughs> that's yeah, no I expansion gotta, i gotta list. dig through some of my yeah. old archives and stuff at home because i can remember i can back in the old days when i was working way way back at cable four in acton ontario way back <laughs> i remember you know used to get the ola used to send out faxes every like i think it was like monday and thursday to, you know i'd race to the fax machine because it would have all the all the junior scores all the major scores and right. everything so this is around that time 97 98 and uh and you know it would have all the scores from junior or whatever but i can remember that press release coming through from the ontario raiders with the list of players and i am positive i have kept that thing you somewhere. gotta find that list i just got to find it because and it would just be fun to read that press release and stuff and what it was all said and probably how it was explained as to how the heck all these guys ended up where they did but do you, the other question i want to ask you do you ever think what it like how different life yes. would have been if rochester like it, it was me or shade and santos i could bug wow. him all the time i said man you took my you took my <laughs> job actually no it wasn't him he was a lock on the team there's another kid what was his name he was from st Catharines too a few years older than i was Anyway, I can't remember. I would remember it if I, if I knew it. Maybe Fisher? Mike Fisher. Anyway, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think about it all the time because we ended up um, beating Rochester, of course, at the Gardens yeah. in those first two championships. I never thought anything of it because I, I don't think they were out of line cutting me. I was 17 or 18 years old, yeah. and you know, I, I, I didn't take offense to it. I, I would have loved to have played there, but – uh, yeah, I wonder all the time how things would have played like out Like, that literally altered the history of lacrosse. Well, for me. But for everything. Like, I ended up in the perfect place. The Toronto place. Rock, every, all these things. Like, Well, it would have changed at some point because I think the next draft they got John Grant Jr. You know, he and I wouldn't have lasted too long <laughs> together, right? So, <laughs> Those are your words. <laughs> well, he knows that, too. Love, respect him, but, yeah. we, we but, wow. Uh, but, yeah, it was. It's uh, nuts, eh? When, like, those those uh forks in the road the turns in life too right like you know how instrumental that was like pretty cool just in the history of just lacrosse in ontario even all this stuff you know where you uh where you ended up and uh, the path you kind of paved for so many different things and that's that's crazy and if you go back to that list if you if you can find that list and include the three players from the west that somehow they were it was all, like literally unfair to start a franchise with, like I said, the names <laughs> on that list. And myself, unincluded. I was just a kid. Like, yeah. it, it was pretty impressive. They were getting three of the best players in BC. Yeah. You know, they got Whipper, 
who may or may not have been one of the best goalies at the time, but, you know, lo and behold, he turns. Anyway, it, it goes on. And, of course, Jim, who was a franchise cornerstone automatically, mm-hmm. pulled from – because I think he had just come back from uh, Africa or something. Yeah, so maybe he, he was exposed. Work, yeah. in, but Buffalo probably didn't even know he was – like, who knows? You know how the league was back then. But Jim anyway. Told, but Jim told a story about this, I think, either – I can't remember if we did an interview with him, but I, I can remember about just the like the battle over who held his rights at when he came back off of his uh, trip there, and you know because the Bandits had had his rights previously. But there is a story that uh, goes back with that that Jim was telling, just the battle back and forth, and then eventually him just getting a letter or fax or something saying. Yeah, go play for the Ontario <laughs> Raiders. All right, well, there really is no fax machine. nobody knows who's got your rights. So, but I knew one thing, like. Uh, Bartley loved Veltman so much he wasn't going to lose that battle if there was a way to get him he he knew what he needed yeah. to start the franchise so they were uh, they were super tight uh, Veltman and and Bartley it, I I think we had Keenan on the team like uh, you know Sean Williams was there in the beginning too Sean Williams yeah. like how how do we get these players like think about that <laughs> yeah I, I mean the team was unbelievable right off the hop. Right yeah. off the hop, it was it was, and our goalies were. I think we had Pat Campbell was our third, yeah. and Rob Blaisdell was our like we were deeper in net than any team. <laughs> yeah. out there. Anyway, it's crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, well, I think we'll uh, we'll take a, a brief break here and recharge and uh, try to flag down Rosie and have him jump in here and give us an update on how training camps going and whatnot. And uh, <clears throat> since we are having such a great time going down memory lane, we're gonna recount uh, a story that is amazing i think and some people may have forgotten about it um and it was recently brought up again on social media and i think it deserves uh, a little bit more uh history and and some more documentation we'll say so we'll do this uh in the podcast in the second half so we'll take a short break here and be back with more toronto rock total access in a minute Welcome back to Toronto Rock Total Access. Mike Hancock and Colin Doyle. And we are now joined in the studio by Toronto Rock goaltender Nick Rose. Rosie, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. How are you guys? Doing great. The uh, first segment of the pod of the new year went uh, tremendously well, smooth, all that kind of stuff. So we've got a lot to live up to here. Uh, how is training camp going so far? We've only been on the floor a couple times. One exhibition game. You didn't see any action in that game, so we can't talk about how you played, and no one can get on you about how you played either. So no, 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 win, don't, win. Don't, they, no. Yeah, oh, they can already. I would imagine somebody has already. <laughs> no, something about the fact he didn't play. And yeah, like, you know. It's... Well, you know, people's minds can race. <laughs> With, especially with Rosie, I could <laughs> I could hear it already. <laughs> I like that Hutchie in there. Yeah. <laughs> Both goalies did play well, I thought. So yeah, yeah. So put any added pressure on you here, Rosie? No. The, uh, maybe a little. That's yeah. how it should be, though, right? All right. Yeah, yeah Hutchie's ready. Wouldn't he be to put a little pressure on you? I mean, he's kind of had a, his. Uh, he's had a year or two now. Has he been with the team? This is his third year. This is his third year. He, uh, I think, got into his first games last year. Yeah, I think it'd be interesting to ask him his take, but I bet you his mind, his mind as a competitor, probably has changed from being, you know, the the backup goalie with the backup mindset to saying, you know, okay, I got to push for a little bit of time this year, and I got to earn the coach's trust, and I got to probably keep Rosie honest. Like, walk us through that. I mean, when you came into this league, you were in Calgary, correct? I uh, started in Boston. Were you automatically the star? Who did you play behind there? I, I didn't start a game there. I was uh, behind Cosmo, and Poulin was there for a little bit too. And I did get into a couple games uh, the last year or two with Boston as a backup once Poulin got traded. But after that, uh, in Calgary, I uh, kind of was on man out and then got traded here. But Who, Who's in Calgary? Uh, Poulin again. <laughs> right. And, and then Frankie uh, Scigliano. Um, he got into a game uh, in Vancouver in front of his family and played unbelievable, and and then the uh, rest is history. Yeah, and at that time, I think, uh, you know, we were in we were in the market for a goalie, and I remember you coming on board. So it, take the fans through, like, from a goalie's perspective, because ultimately Hutchie's going to be your partner, and obviously that dynamic is so important. But, I mean, at some level, you know, you've been in his shoes. You're, you're, you're trying to take the other guy's job. Am I wrong? I mean, like that's just how it works. So, how how's that dynamic work, and how did when did it change for you, or has it changed? You just just you just go with the same mindset all the time, or does it does it change? 
Yeah, I mean, um, definitely was in Hutch's position uh, as a young goalie and then all, and that that's how just how it goes, the nature of the league. I mean, you kind of want to get a feel for what the league's about and and grow as teammates and whatnot, but um, me and him have an incredible relationship, real good buddies. Uh, he's a funny guy, and we, we definitely get along, but yeah, we ultimately we're fighting for one spot, and my job is to make sure I don't lose that starting gig, and his job is to try and uh, earn some starts. So um, that's just the nature of being part of a team. You got to push each other, and I think it's been good so far. And uh, I've enjoyed having him around. Obviously, this year we got Troy as well, and uh, he's uh, obviously going to have to find his way as well in this league. But it's been a good situation, and we're making sure we're pu- pushing each other. The workload you had last year, I think the mindset from the coaching staff was pretty clear early on. I mean, you were going to run the table as, as much as you played well enough to do so. So uh, do you enjoy that where you plan more, you, you want to start every night, uh, or is there times where you'd sooner somebody else get in? And I'm, this is probably a loaded question because I imagine the answer always is, well, you want to start every game. But uh, I think if Hutchie did anything last year, he probably earned a little bit of trust from the coaches because he did get in a couple of times and made some saves, and I thought that was, I think, big for the team in the long run. But do you want to start every night? Uh, yeah, I do. Um, in the NOL, like, for the most part, besides uh, the odd back-to-back, we, we get a full week off right. to recover. We we have the benefit of with Toronto to practice midweek and be fresh for the games. So I, I do want to start every game, but... It's obviously also a good situation to have a good backup who can be relied on for minutes when I'm not seeing it, right? So, yeah, but I, I obviously want to play as much as possible. Well, that was kind of lead me into something with uh, kind of Hutchie and you having been in those shoes previously, like we mentioned, you know, what did you do to stay sharp and to kind of stay kind of a part of the team when you're not really playing? Yeah, I mean, when I was a young goalie in Boston, I actually was able to live down in the market, and we had about 10 guys, so I actually saw more rubber than I've seen uh, in the rest of my career, just taking taking shots every other day and whatnot. So um, I do think that was key for me to kind of find my way is uh, taking shots from true NOL and, like, stars like Dan Dawson mm-hmm. back then. And... Um, just kind of feeling comfortable in the net and the crease of for this league and once I finally got some game action uh wasn't quite as nervous as uh maybe you would think and do you feel though you know when you've got a guy maybe playing behind you and maybe this is at any point in your career not necessarily right now but you know is that you know helped you do you thrive in those situations when you have a guy maybe knocking on the door a little bit harder than somebody else I mean more recently would have been Brandon Miller um but throughout your career I know are there times where you know you know you've played better when you've had somebody behind you that's a little bit closer maybe to taking your job yeah I don't know it's hard to say like I don't really kind of approach it like that like I want to play my best every game every season and doesn't matter who my goalie partner is but there's definitely been times where especially with B like that year we went to the finals I think me and him just kind of got into a zone where we were just going back and forth playing kind of some of our best lacrosse and it's a good situation for the team and that's the most important thing and then you know I'm always curious do you feel obligated to help Hutchie out because I remember seeing an article or reading an article once or seeing it on TV I can remember on the, it's never left me Brett Favre telling the media once like look you know, I'm glad Aaron Rodgers is here, but he's not my business. I don't need to train him or make him better. This is my job. This is my team. And that's just how it is. And I, I found it quite – I was quite shocked by it. So I know quarterback position would be very similar similar to the goalie position. Are you always trying to help him get better, or you just focus on you and let him focus on him? How, how does that work? Um, It's tough to say, really. Like, obviously, I – I, I think from my experience with Cosmo and Poulin, they treated me great. And it, it, it's not necessarily about like, oh, you need to have your foot here or, or move this like kind of technicality. It's more just like trying to help him kind of find himself within this league and within this part of, or as his role on the team, right? So I want to make him feel comfortable and make sure uh, he definitely feels part of the team and 
and ready to to play some good minutes once he's in there. But it's not for goalies. I don't think it's as much. By the time you get to the NOL, your style is pretty yeah. <laughs> pretty set. But if if there's something I see that maybe can, I can help him with, absolutely, I'll do that. But it's it, probably a not not a good question for you, but because you seem to like everybody. Have you ever played with a goalie <laughs> you didn't get along with? And you don't have to name um, names, but it, and does that make a, make it extremely difficult? Yeah, I mean, I, it's hard to say. I don't think I really have, right. to be honest with you. Growing up in Orangeville, obviously I played with D. Ward and Evan Kirk, and I grew up buddies with those guys, and kind of same situation. Like, me and Evan were in a spot in junior where we were both kind of bonafide number ones for junior A, and he obviously felt he should be starting, so he, he got traded, but that didn't kind of change my relationship with them. And, friendship and that kind of stuff but I I don't think I have played with a goalie that I haven't at least gotten along with uh, a little bit off the floor tried to get Kirky to play junior B in Halton Hills that year after he was gone for Orange really wasn't interested did he not end up in Kitchener (laughs) he did eventually yeah yeah yeah, but I had uh, I tried took a swing (laughs) yeah he did end up uh, those last two years with Kitchener Braves now I want to kind of change the conversation a little bit here. We'll we'll get back to tra- no. Uh, sorry, let's keep going with training camp a little bit, Rosie. Just uh, you know, Colin talked. We talked a little bit before just about how you view training camp. Is it something where you know you're ready to go from day one in training camp, or it's something that you use as true preparation for the season and <clears throat> kind of getting ready to play? Um, just talk a bit about how training camp's going in your mind and just how you approach it as you go through the month. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the excitement on day one is kind of through the roof. There's no question about that. Um, it's always good to get around the guys and, and just get this thing started. I, I do think the first session or two practices is a lot of small competitions. Within Guys are fighting for a spot on this team, uh, uh, first and foremost. But I do think our coaches do a great job of setting the tone that we're getting ready for that first game against New England December 7th. So, um now that we with our with our team roster right now we don't have a ton of decisions to be made and that that's a little different than a lot of the other teams but um right now we're we're preparing to go play a game against new england and that's uh what it is well and that's was going to lead me into my next thing which is perfect is uh the smaller camp this year the much smaller camp than usual uh have you noticed anything different about the intensity level here is there is there any level of comfort that's set in when guys have looked around and done the math here in the room, or has it still been as intense as ever as if it was a bigger camp? From what I've seen, the competition and the intensity has not gone down at all. Um, I think I think for the, some of the guys that uh, if they're getting comfortable, they're making a mistake because uh, we feel like we're going to be a good team, and that's not going to help the team kind of become a contender if uh, guys are complacent. So. We don't have that attitude, and I don't, I don't believe that any players fighting for a spot have that attitude. And I think everybody's going out at each night, and especially that exhibition game. Guys were working their tails off, and uh, we looked super fast, super competitive. So I think it's been good so far. Nobody will probably admit this, but the the fact of the matter is, you know, as an organization, whether the coach or the general manager, or the players ever want to outwardly say it. You kind of know where you where you are going into the season, and I think it's pretty clear with the Rock that look if they're not if they're not a favorite in the East, they're probably one of the top two. Um, you've been on teams that aren't in that same position in the NLL, um, and I think when you're speaking about you know the mindset to get ready for the first game, not not a mindset you know of really how this team is going to unfold. I think what you guys are preparing for looks a little different than some of the other teams. Can you feel it? Like, uh, is the expectation pretty clear in that room already? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we got close last year, but not close enough. I mean, it, it, with the NLL, you don't want to pass up opportunities. And I'm this is my 12th season in the league, and I've gone to a one championship, and it's not enough. I, we we all want to win that win that title, but um, we obviously there's some pressure that comes with that, but we. Uh, got a good group that I think we want to win together and that's kind of what it is heading into this season that we uh, not getting to that final isn't good enough right because some teams are trying to put the team together that gets out of the basement some teams are trying to put a team together 
you know, have that chip on the show. Let's take this world by storm. Nobody's given us any credit. I don't think any of those things apply here. I think it's clear from, you know, obviously what we saw Saturday night and from, you know, you guys are no idiots in the room. You understand what's at stake here. And I think part of the reason you don't have an overly huge camp is because everybody likely agrees you are only a player or a decision or two off of being a championship contender. So I'm always interested to hear how that mentality kind of changes. But I do have a couple of quick questions here. Yep. In practice, who's got the best outside shot in the team? Huh. There's a few guys with some tough shots, but um, I have to go with Schreiber. He he was ripping some shots on me yesterday. He came in early for practice, and it's just basically a guessing game with some of the some of his side shots. Like he he can pull it back short. He can go far side, top corner, down low, every which way. So Who, I do. Who's got the best inside finish? You do a lot of breakaway drills in practice. When you're when you're yeah. actually dialed in and, and moving with players, who's the toughest to stop in a breakaway? There, we got some good finishers in tight, too. I, I got to go with Challen, though, sometimes. Uh, Don't you just know he's dunking it back to your short <laughs> well, side every time? You would think, but then the odd time he switches it up, goes far side. It, it feels like you're just getting dunked on, basically, in basketball. Kind of when he, once he gets up high and gets his stick moving quick, it's uh, tough to read. Take Chal out of the equation because he plays a ton of offense. Who's the best finish from the defensive end? Hmm. I might get in some trouble for this one, but uh, I don't know. I Challen is obviously the obvious one. Just because like Brocky was always good, but yeah. he's out now. Yeah, Dave Brock had, has always uh, had success against me in transition, so him coming to the Rock is a nice addition at the back end. I I'd have to maybe go Slades then if we're talking. Uh, uh, if Chow's out of the equation, I know Slade's plays some offense every now and then, but he. What about I'll throw one out? What about Scott Dominey? Dominey, like I, he, the summer, about after him. the summer he had. I mean, he only played one regular season game last year. Yeah, scored a goal in that game. Piled up some goals this summer. Scored twice on Saturday. Could have had third. He had the post and out for the yeah, third. Yeah, no, maybe. that's a good. That's a good choice too. I, I guess just because he hasn't played a ton yeah. in the NOL, but I, I've seen him in Orange on. He's done that his whole life too. Is. I would have, I would have thought the safest bet would have just said to say Billy Hostra. Yeah, but you got to sit in the room with him here, and he's going to he's playing. Like, Wait, why not pat Billy on the back? He here? doesn't want that limelight, though. Yeah, good point. Good point. Yeah, a couple of guys, couple guys in contention. For so that. you know, you see where this conversation is going. I think uh, one of the difference makers for this team this year would be the amount of goal scoring that could potentially come from that back end. Uh, there is a like, and it was pretty clear on Saturday night, the speed and the opportunities that that group is going to get, it should be fun to watch. Well, in a new face, even Josh Jubinville plays a different type of game, I think, defensively than some of the guys. But also, as we've seen in Oakville, he's got a you know an ability to push the ball and, and move it up quickly and maybe make plays in transition as well. So, like you say, I think there's a ton yeah. of options. And, you know, Latrell Harris didn't have a huge – I know we can keep going yeah, here, but right. Latrell, there's another guy who didn't score a ton of goals last year. I think he only had three goals last year. And there's a guy that I think, you know, if he sits there this year and scores 10 – it I don't won't think shock we're anybody. surprised. No. And you know what? Edwards can still score. Yeah. yeah, even with Luttrell, I've noticed in practices, like he's changed up his shot. Like he's making more solid choices, like in terms of just going with his gut instead of kind of hesitating when trying to make a, a little stick fake or whatever. He's uh, finishing hard, and uh, you can notice it in practice. If those guys are scoring more, you know who else's apples go up this year? <laughs> yeah. <Ooh. laughs> yeah. Right. 35-point year from you? Maybe wow. I had to tack on a few more goals this year. <laughs> oh, you're going to look at the goals too, eh? I thought maybe that market had been tapped. Yeah. My, my goodness. Yeah, we'll see. So off the top of the show, this is where we're truly shifting gears here. Colin had said that he is done with Twitter. He is done. off Twitter. And he said it's been about a month, and he's feeling pretty good. So I have to throw this at you. And not that I want you to do this necessarily, but could you ever take a month off social media? How about it? Start with a day <laughs> when with him. <laughs> when you say that, do you mean just posting something or just, Everything. Or just like deleting me. it, like not done. reading anything? Yeah, done. Um, well, what what's the price on this? <laughs> no, I guess. There's no, there's no way. You could put a price on it. There's no way this... Of all the people, <laughs> Nick would be the last one. Sometimes I don't think being connected is a bad thing. That's all. Well, have two okay. bad outings and then shut <laughs> <Yeah>. her. <laughs> True. Yeah, a couple blocks on Twitter. That's all right. You want to flush that thing down yeah. the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know. 
I don't know. Is there not. anything that you could do that you think you could convince Colin to get back on social media? Because that's what I would like to see. Personally. I just think tell him the truth. He, he's an electric follow on Twitter when he's uh, watching games at home on a Saturday night or some nights better than others. Yeah. Oh, I know. Big tire pumping know. going on here. That's good. Yeah. I love well, it. I guess we'll have to see if it gets in season if I really do miss it. But right now, I do not. So okay. we'll revisit this. All I right, promise right. you. I'm like looking forward to the next time I see a tweet from you. Next to social media. Well, probably won't be me. I've, all, yeah. I've given everybody yeah. on this podcast, all 27 people listening, can yeah. openly hack my account now and feel free to have at it. All right. All right, Rosie. Well, thanks a lot for joining us. And uh, I guess, actually, a little. Uh, Maybe uh, a giveaway here for fans, but are you going to be in action at all this Saturday? Do you know yet? Yeah, I believe that's the plan. Talking with Maddie before last weekend, he, he obviously wanted to give Troy a, a good luck. He's been good in practice too, so um, I think going forward I'm probably going to play at least a half this weekend, and then we'll see for the third game. Getting the start Saturday? I don't know if I'm starting or finishing, but oh. I, I'd imagine what I'm What would get- you prefer to do in exhibition? Uh, I I want the start, probably, I think. <laughs> I I can't see coming in and ha- halfway. Yeah, I, no, I can't see that yeah. being any good. Just getting a start is kind of more the norm, so I just want to get her going, basically. Tough as a player, I'm guessing, too, right, to do that in preseason to come in halfway through? I, I mean, I can remember seeing guys upstairs in the first half here in the gym, like previously, you know, this, like staying loose, kind of just, you know, running up and down and stuff, just trying to stay in the game here. And, and that's tough for guys trying to make the team because a lot of times that's the situation they're thrust into is they're second-half guys, right? They're, you know, a veteran might play the first half, and then the second half they're going in pretty cold. Well, yeah. Troy did it backwards one year. He was gracious enough to have uh, the exhibition game against the Bandits, and uh, I, he decided that uh, you know we'll just we'll throw the starters in the second half against all the guys on the Bandits, all 38 of them rostered that were trying to make a team. And uh, I mean, you can look online to see how that turned out. Yeah, I was at that game in the stands watching. Yeah, have to ask Troy sometime where his mind was at on that one. He was trying to toughen the starters up. <laughs> Uh, we had some good conversation about that last year. That was good. Yeah. Dial up an old episode. Mm-hmm. There, we got right there into that go. at one point. All right. Okay, Rosie. Uh, good luck Saturday night. Thanks for stopping by. We'll do this again soon. All right. Thanks, guys. Good luck, Rosie. Thanks. All right. That was Nick Rose, Toronto Rock goaltender. We'll take another short break here on Toronto Rock Total Access and be back in a moment. Welcome back to Toronto Rock Total Access. I'm Mike Hancock, Colin Doyle. We're uh, wrapping the show up today, but it uh, there is some good stuff coming here, I think. Some gold, I think. And uh, recently on uh, social media, on Twitter, Colin's favorite place to be <laughs> was... Uh, I'm not beefing <laughs> with it. I'm just, you know. Someone had posted, uh, I think a young man by the name of Brenner Jacobs, who was a goaltender at one point. He, uh, he posted... Uh, the clip from when Colin went in to play goal during the Man Cup. So in the National Senior A Championship of Canada, Colin Doyle ended up in net. So I'm looking back. So this was back in uh, – so the story that was written on TorontoRock.com, there were a few other places, media outlets, that picked this up. But September 12, 2013, so I'm guessing it would have been uh, the night before, September 11, 2013, when he went in net. But uh, – I'll just read the first little bit of it, and then we'll kind of get into it. So um, so it starts off, Colin Doyle is rarely referred to as an unlikely hero. However, on Wednesday night in Game 5 of the 2013 Man Cup Canadian Senior A Championship Series, Rock Captain Colin Doyle was forced into playing out of position and stepping, strapping on the goaltending equipment as he guided his Six Nations Chiefs to an 11-7 win over the Victoria Shamrocks and a 3-2 series lead. Six Nations starting goaltender Brandon Millen, Miller, sorry, then with Philadelphia, was ejected from the game at the start of the third period, um, followed almost nine minutes later by an ejection of Chiefs backup goaltender Evan Kirk at the National Lacrosse Championship. The ejections meant that Six Nations had 10 minutes to dress a goaltender to play the remaining 11 minutes and four seconds of the third period, and Doyle was thrust into an unfamiliar role. So... That's kind of the setup a little bit, but we we can even go a little bit more into the setup of this. So in this series, and I feel like around this time, calling goaltending, goaltenders equipment was the thing to do. And it was always this unwritten rule before the tournament that coaches and general managers would get together and say, we're not calling any goalie equipment calls. 
But then, without a doubt, when your back's against the wall as a coach and you're running out of options. Those unwritten rules, <laughs> they don't matter. And it's so ironic because I remember following the Western Championship and Victoria had it done to them. And I can remember their coach carrying on in the media and whining and moaning about yeah. having it done to him and, have, and having the same thing happen to him. So I, this looking back at it, I remember that's just so ironic. So ironic, yeah. So what had happened? Were there any other goaltending equipment calls in that series before no. that point? No. No, so but I mean, uh, they really didn't. Like, B it was so good at that point. I, 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 I never understood it, I guess. But, like, they really had no other choice. They had to get him yeah. out. So I guess they, you know, why they did it to Kirky as well immediately after you know, obviously that doesn't sit well, but I could, I guess I can see it trying to get Miller out of there. He was standing on his head. And uh, then they go to Kirky, and I remember it was a short period, but he was outstanding too. So, <laughs> well, let's not let this play out any longer. I guess that was the – you'd have to get somebody from the Shamrocks organization to answer the mindset question there. But I remember Kirky going in and being right where he left off too. Like we had one of those situations yeah. where both goalies were just lights out. So I, I want to say I went in with just over 10 to go. Is yep, that about right? I think right? that's about what the story says here, yeah. So I've told this story quite a few times, but the funniest part was, like, we went back, like, once we found out what was going on, uh, you know, everybody's kind of like, well, what are you going to do? And I was like, I'm going in net. And, and Rory Smith looks at me, and he looks, no, no, I'm going in net. And I remember having to talk him out of it because <laughs> I said, well, Rory, we're going to be shorthanded for the rest of the game. Like, you, they don't need me. You know, I can play, you know, I can play a net. They need you to kill these penalties. Like, <laughs> you haven't got it. So I finally remember she finally agreed with me. But it took me a little while. So if I had 10 minutes to get dressed, seven of those were used up trying to convince him to not do it. <laughs> and thank goodness, because I, I think he blocked 15 shots while I was in the net. So then I go into the dressing room, and you don't think about this, but you're going in there to put on illegal soaking wet equipment. Yeah. It, it's already been deemed illegal. So I'm surprised when I started to heat up a bit, they didn't get rid of me. So this stuff is soaking wet. And I can remember Kirky was in there. B Miller was in there. They're both dressing me. And then I look over and Kim Squires taping my arms. And like, for those of you who don't know, Kimbo and I go way back from playing together, but he's from six nations here in Ontario. And this is in Victoria and everything was kind of scrambly. And I just, Kimbo, what are you doing here? I don't know. I still don't know the answer to it, but he was in the dressing room, helped me tape my arms on. So that was interesting. And so you get out there. I think I had pieced together a bit of bees and a bit of Kirkies. And I think I chose Kirkies gloves because they were a little less wet. And I, I, I get into the net and they, uh, what makes it worse is you start down five on three yeah. for an extended period of time because of all the penalties, all the minors and stuff had piled up, so I can't remember. And, um, the, you know, I think maybe they turned one over and went down to the other end, and then Kirky, like, opens the door behind me and starts yelling instructions at me. Between every <laughs> shift, he was open the glass and yell at me, like, about my angles and stuff. Finally, I said, Kirky, I got this. He, and I can remember saying, because in hockey, I always used to love giving the glove side and then making that beautiful save, right? Like I was a goalie in hockey, and I saw like those instincts came back to me. So they're on a four-on-three power play, and I knew what they would have looked. I said, I'm going to give them a backdoor quick stick here, and I'm going to make this amazing save. So I kind of knew – I was baiting Dutchie to pass it to the left crease man because I wanted to make this unbelievable save. And I can remember the first goal. They quick sticked, and I jumped it, and somehow it snuck in. And I was like, oh, man, that's not good. They, these guys can move it a little quicker than I had anticipated. <laughs> and I'll never forget. I can remember it. And I was like, man, I, w I was right there. How did that go in there? I, was, I had these dreams to make. And then I'm like, oh, boy. And my heart started racing a bit more. And they're still up five on three. So then um, Dutchie comes in, blows one by my short side hip. Like, I didn't even see it. And I hadn't felt a ball yet. And I was like, okay, you look at the scoreboard, start doing the math in the minutes. And you're like, oh, boy. Uh, and then I kind of settled in. Um, so many things happened that you remember, I remember vividly. I don't even know if you wanted me to go into this right now. Absolutely, but, yes. You know, I can remember uh, Rory and, and Marsh basically like beside each other standing and just <laughs> like balls just going right into their guts and their chest. And they were just doing whatever they could to not let a shot go. But then I think the key turning point was uh, there was a pick and roll. Things finally evened out. I think Shatler scored two, maybe on a five on four power play. It was a cheap one. It was the only one I wish I could have back because uh, I knew he was going to twist it. He did it. I, I don't know how it snuck in me, neither here nor there. The next possession, they got a good pick-and-roll chance, and Tory Gardner was in alone, and I held my ground, I held my stick down, and I stoned him 
like one on one, and I started to feel pretty good. And then I think kind of people came out of the box, and we started to even things out, and our defense settled in, and it, it felt like an eternity. But I had the ball in my crease, and I could not throw it so I just got like I just threw it somewhere and it kind of bounced and Steve Keogh picked it up went down and I was sitting in my and I'm panting and I'm scared and I don't want to lose this thing and I just remember Keogh must have ragged 47 seconds just getting killed and then just turns and sticks one in the back of the net and I can just remember the relief I was just like that that from where I was standing in the position I was in it was the best individual effort I've ever seen and something I'll never forget and then the next shift out he went out and did it again kind of gave us our cushion back and I was able to settle in a bit it was it was pretty awesome it was a it was a memory I'll certainly never forget but all these little things tied to that story it was pretty uh, it was pretty unbelievable I couldn't wait to get the gear off it was so bloody hot and like I said I was having like mini panic attacks in there <laughs> Yeah. So you had a you had a goal and an assist in the game before you went net, and then you had an assist on the Keo goal. Yep. And the clip that was tweeted out was you <laughs> making the most one of the more unconventional yep. lacrosse goalie saves was you slid across and did two pad stack yeah. coming across to well, the save. <laughs> I was leaning on, you know, I've played a lot in the backyard, like all yeah. of us have. You you, you kind of know the position a little bit, but like I said, I had seriously underestimated how fast the ball moved and how quickly they could shoot it because my buddies in Kitchener, when they were 10 and 12 years old, apparently didn't shoot it like Reese Touch does. <laughs> so I hadn't been net in a while, but I relied on my goalie instincts. And, uh, yeah, it was crazy. And I'll never forget every every time the ball went down to the other end. You know, there was uh, Kirky peeking out and yelling at me, and it was pretty awesome. But, yeah, it was a pretty cool moment, man. I'll never forget that ever. And, you know, uh, f- funny from, from my end, I don't know if it's funny for anybody, but, like, my wife and kids were all out at there at the Man Cup, and that was the one game they decided to go to the mainland to visit some friends. So <laughs> my wife started getting these phone calls, hey, Collins and Net, you got to <laughs> yeah. turn this thing on. So. She was probably thankful she wasn't be there. She wasn't there that game, but it was it was awesome. Yeah, I can remember watching the webcast that night of the game and just like as this started to happen, I, I just I I couldn't believe. And I know you're having panic attacks in there. I'm just watching it, like praying that you guys can hold on and and just because uh, I th- so you let in three goals, right? I think I was three I out of nine, nine shots. Yeah, nine four. I think when you went in and you guys won twelve seven. And I think they got it back to ten seven. And that's when Ke- I think Keo just went out and like like I said, I, I, the, the amount of respect I have for that man, just based on those yeah. twelve minutes alone, uh, you know, I'll, I'm forever in his debt because he just he knew what he had to do and he just went out and did it. And if it wasn't him, it would have been Cody. But then to have Billy D and Marsh and uh, <laughs> Coatsy and all these defenders, uh, you know, uh, Rory just literally doing whatever they could, and they played the whole time. Like the ball was in our end the whole time because I had to throw it with my hand once. <laughs> <laughs> but then once you get once you make a save or two you start to feel it a bit and you're jumping around it was pretty it was pretty wild so yeah sorry i just said the score was 12 7 the final score was 11 7 so yeah it was uh but then it's funny to circle back to this so looking back at the article that uh that i wrote many moons ago it feels like now but um it said uh the night's events were not lost on doyle's rock teammates as many of them took to twitter to have their say including netminder nick rose <laughs> I, was he impressed with my piece of work his his tweet was that's how you put your team on your back what an effort from one of the greatest ever doily hashtag beast hashtag man cup 2013 you don't want to miss man you're not thinking about it then but uh that experience in a man cup game is is that'll be a story that never gets old yeah, literally. Gonna, like, yeah, so it's a he stopped six of nine shots. Yeah, that yeah. Was the other part, I thought so. I was decent. Yeah, well, like I said, I would like to have one back. Shatler's goal wasn't a good one. I should have had that one, but oh, yeah. here was the other part. So yeah, so like I said, other media outlets did pick it up because now I've got a line here in the story too. Inspired by Doyle's performance, TSN will feature right. a Sports Center top ten counting down the best playing out of position moments on Thursday evening. That's right. I, I think it was all over the place. Yeah. And, it, you know, we ended up going out in game six. I think, you know, we had to grind a bit, but I think we felt like game five is such a swing game in those series. You know how it is. Yep. And they were obviously desperate. But, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, the Man Cup, you're right back at it the next day. So it was awesome. It was quite a night. I'll never forget that. What a story. Yeah. That's an unbelievable event. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that uh, – 
uh, have never heard that story. So I thought it was great. When I saw that po- post come up on social media, I thought, you know what, we got to talk about that. And uh, because I don't think you'd really ever done a lot of like other than a couple of quotes in that story. I don't know how much and, and probably a few other articles that got written around that time. I don't think there's probably been much storytelling of that event, but no, it'd be one of those stories too. You know, like uh, to hear fifteen different perspectives on the same. This would be events, an ESPN it, 30 it would be for a 30. pretty neat because yeah, to, to hear Rory's take, like he's yeah. you know what was going through his head, and to hear uh, you know like to hear Keo's mindset saying probably I've got to go get a goal here. Yeah, you know I'm going to go get a goal. You know, so just to, to and then to hear uh, Kirkies or B Mills or Kimbo's for what yeah. it's worth. <laughs> anyway, it's one so of those. So why was he there? Was I have no, I never found the... out. No, he was not. I, he must have been living out west because I remember Jamie, uh, the rock owner, yeah. telling me after he had uh, driven that he was on the ferry with Kimbo, and so Kimbo must have been on the mainland playing lacrosse out there and just came over for the night. How he got in our dressing room and was taping me up, I'll never know. But. <laughs> He just knew his old buddy needed some help, and hey, he was right there. Kimbo was, had my back. And you know, Kimbo, he probably would give me some advice, too. He's <laughs> yeah. always forever giving me advice. So maybe he's That's the one good. who told me about my angles. That's awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. Wow, incredible. All right, well, uh, that I think will just about wrap up the podcast for today. Uh, we do, of course, have an exhibition game again Saturday night. And uh, first come, first served. In terms of seating here, the doors are op- open at 6 o'clock. 7 o'clock is the game against the expansion. Rochester Nighthawks, who uh, I think last year we kept saying, well, the San Diego Seals don't look like an expansion team. I don't think Rochester really looks like an expansion team either. Um, I think they're going to be uh, you know, a pretty competitive team here right off the hop, so it'll be interesting to see what they bring to the table as we get closer and closer to uh, roster cutdowns, which will uh, happen on Monday, November the 25th, as the season gets started that following weekend, and then the Rock Home opener uh, a little over a week after that on Saturday, December 7th. Against the New England Black Wolves. Uh, Doily, anything else you got for us before we wrap this up? Or? No, next time we meet, hopefully the team's made and we can start to make some projections. <laughs> Is this your subtle drop if we're not doing a podcast next week? Well, something has to happen, we, unless hey, you come up with some more stories. There's Rock Captain Challen Rogers swinging by here, just making his way through the office. <laughs> yeah. Where else can you go? Eh? It's like an ESPN commercial from back in the day. <laughs> yeah. I remember they had the boss walking through the office right. and stuff yeah. like that. Terry Tate, is that remember? That was that's a whole different thing, though. Oh, is it? it? Was it an it, it is, but it's a whole different. It's uh, ah, that office, came up somewhere. It's um, office linebacker. There you go. That's yeah, the one. yeah, yeah. That's the one. That was. He incredible. looks like the office yeah. linebacker. <laughs> he looked really good. That's the one takeaway. And that Jubinville's got big calves. Yeah, that's another takeaway. I didn't see much this week. You thought he might have been from Orangeville. <laughs> you know, he's, he's not. He's from Windsor. <laughs> yeah, he was over five four, so I counted that out. Not by much, though, eh? I guess not. No. Yeah. Anyway, we'll right. we'll piece this thing together. You come up with some more good history lessons here, and then we'll, uh, like I said, it'll be interesting, just like it was last year, to see this thing through with this team. I think the potential here to win the championship is obviously here. I'm not the only one. This isn't going out on a limb to say this. I think the consensus, once you hear the pundits get to this, I would say the Rock would be a – a pretty legit contender for this thing this year. Yeah, because, I mean, something we didn't really talk too much about was, you know, you've gone through expansion again two years in a row here, and it while the Rock have lost some significant pieces, like legitimate top-end old guys here, you know, you look at Hickey, a 50-goal scorer, gone. Dan Lintner was a consistent 20-plus goal scorer. Um, you know, Kieran, even what he's, you know, uh, chipped in over the last couple of years. I mean, there's some significant pieces gone. So Phil Caputo was traded away this year. That's some of their depth, you know, coming into the season. So, but it seems like they've come through this no worse for the wear. This should be their best offensive group yet with, with yeah. the, with the addition of Dawson on the right side, which we both agree, I'm sure that is a great fit there. And with, you know, we'll see how the left side plays out. I think the big, the big key there is obviously, what are you going to get from Pop and what are you going to get from Craig? And I think if there's some sort of consistency with the two of those guys, like this offense is deadly, yeah. just straight up deadly. So, you know, Tommy, Jonesy, and Robbie are legitimate, the three-headed monster, which they've always been. Um, but the depth around them this year with, with some of these guys, you know, Dan, Craig coming into his own, hopefully, finding figuring out what he is and being real good at it and then you know getting johnny to be johnny again and then dan to be dan i mean you're not asking for 
reinvention of any wheels here. This is. Just I still think Zach Manns has got an opportunity here to make some noise, and we saw a little bit of it on Saturday night. And I think he's a guy that he might not make that noise right out of the gate. He might have a game here or there where you see a little bit more of him. But as the season goes on, for whatever reason, just from what I've seen so far, my personal forecast is that he is going to hopefully continue to get better and more impactful as the season goes along. And this could be, you know, a pretty rapid development for me to see, or not for me, sorry, pretty rapid development that I see uh, him going on here and becoming a big time player here, maybe sooner than we think. I've got to have a look at him. I'm looking forward to seeing him. Like I said, I, I want the team to get made. I want to see what they're all about. Yeah. Hopefully get in here the next couple of weeks, watch some exhibition play, see them practice. And then, of course, the telltale will be once they kick off, and they've got 18 games to figure this out. And I think a lot of what we talked about last year, you know, where the weaknesses were, if they can kind of correct some of those, this is a team that's going to be pretty tough to beat. Okay. We can both agree on that. So I look forward to it. So we'll have we'll see everybody again when we see them. All right. On that note, we'll, we will wrap things up. Don't forget season memberships are on sale. Four-game pack is on sale. The six-ticket flex is on sale. Lots of different ways to get you into the building on Saturday, December the 7th for the home opener. Season members, if you're wondering, season membership, uh, your tickets will hopefully be in this week. We're hoping that we're going to see them here back from the printer this week. So keep an eye out for a note from uh, the ticketing staff there if you're wondering uh, where you're, uh, when you're going to be able to grab your tickets. So keep an eye out for that. Anyways, uh, in the meantime and in between time, for Colin Doyle and Mike Hancock saying we will chat very soon.